The theme of our conference today, our youth rally today, is authentic. Authentic. And what's interesting about that word is the other day I was watching a therapy session that Katy Perry put online. Anyone see this? Katy Perry? She put on an online, uh, she put online YouTube on her YouTube channel, a therapy session she had. And in it, she kind of has this complete breakdown where she's talking about all the pressures of being a celebrity. It's really, really interesting. And in it, one of the things she says is that I am not being authentic to who I am. Right? And when she says that, what she means is she's allowing other people to define who she's supposed to be. And I think, although we wouldn't take that same sense as a Christian, I think there is something to be said about when people influence who you are rather than letting God influence who you are. See, the theme of today is being authentic, meaning living under pressure without compromising character. And we heard from Dawson how he was able to go through the pressures of life because he had God behind him. And if God is for you, who can be against you, amen? And today, as we open up God's word in Luke chapter 22, hey, listen, I believe that the word of God is powerful enough to change any person's life. And if you came here today and you're just, you're here for the music, that's great. But I think if you pay attention for the next 30 minutes or so to what God has to say in his holy word, I think you would be surprised because sometimes when you least expect it, God shows up and he blesses you beyond what you can imagine. And so today in Luke chapter 22, start in verse 47, we're going to learn about the night that Jesus was betrayed. In verse 47, it says this. And while he, he being Jesus, was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So sorry if this is a little PG-13 for you. Verse 51, but Jesus answered and said, permit even this, and he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness." Having arrested him, they led him, brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another Solomon said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. In other words, they could tell because of his accent. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Would you pray once more with me? Lord, we do know that in your word there is power, to be able to discern what is going on in our hearts. And I, as you are the great surgeon, I pray that you would do that right now. You'd speak to us, Lord, because if it's just me here, we're all in trouble. 
But I believe that your Holy Spirit is with all of us. And so we look forward to seeing what you're going to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, by a show of hands. Does anyone here know somebody? Or let's say, does anyone here follow somebody on Instagram that should not be on Instagram? Old people, you know, like maybe it's your grandma, and then I'm sorry if your grandma and you're in here, but let's be honest, right? You can put your hands down. Let's be honest. There's some people that shouldn't be on Instagram, and they're just posting cat photos all the time or just, just their chin and above, you know? And they're like doing selfies all the time. They're like, is this what you're supposed to do? Is this a selfie? And you're just like, Grandma, get off Instagram. And then they tag you in a photo, right? And like, oh gosh, oh Lord, I didn't even know that photo. I didn't know I was a child until like my grandma posted it online, right? But even worse than old people, let's be honest, is your youth pastor. Let's, oh, and you're not allowed to laugh, right? You're not allowed to laugh. But let's be honest, the youth pastor is the worst person to have on social media because he likes your posts and you're like, everything you do is censored, right? You're just like, oh gosh, I didn't know my youth pastor actually looks at my photos, right? You feel like it's a violation of your privacy. And then your youth pastor has the audacity to once in a while encourage the youth group and say, all right, guys, we're going to live for the Lord and deny ourselves and post on our Instagram pages one of our youth group posts. What do you say? And everyone's like, no. No, I am not ruining my feed for your youth group post, right? And this is how we approach Instagram, where a lot of people are following people, but they don't want them to interact with them on Instagram. There are certain people that you just shouldn't be on Instagram, right? I'm saying that as a youth pastor, so I can say that. I think in the same way as you follow your church's Instagram account, in the same way a lot of people are treating their relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by that is this. A lot of people follow at a distance. Follow at a distance. In other words, you're following the page. You have your church, right? You, you like their photos every now and then. But you're not involved in the church. You're not being discipled. You're not serving. You're not in any way participating other than you like their posts every now and then. And as a parallel, I think a lot of Christians today are following Jesus at a distance. And, I, and listen, this is not our fault, right? Because millennials, myself included, because I'm 28, millennials don't like to appear passionate about anything. What I mean by that is this. We want to be good at stuff without trying. We want to pick up a guitar and the first time we do it, be amazing. We want to have the voice of Dawson the first time that we open our mouths, right? But then at the same time, we want to look like, eh, you know, I just, I'm gifted. What can I say, right? We want to just look talented without the hard work of actually trying to acquire that talent. So a lot of people don't have any motivation because you go online, you go on YouTube, and there's a five-year-old that plays piano better than you ever can, right? And you're like, well, well obviously I'm not going to play piano because this guy can beat me any day. So a lot of us don't want to be more involved with our church, more involved with Jesus, because we're not involved with anything. We're not really sure how we're supposed to get involved. Well, by analogy, this is exactly what Peter is doing. It says this in verse four, uh, 54, that after they arrested Jesus, they brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. After he was delivered to the high priest and he was being brought before the court, he was, going to be, he was being betrayed, brought to the cross to be crucified and killed. Peter followed 
but he followed at a distance. And that's the title of our message this afternoon. In other words, when you fall at a distance, you are close enough to see who Jesus is, but not close enough that you have to share about who he is. That's how many people are living their Christian lives. I'll see him, but I won't be involved in the kingdom of God. Well, there's three things today I believe we can see in this text that can happen when we distance ourselves from the will of God. When we choose to be one foot in the world, one foot with the Lord and say, I just haven't made up my mind. My parents are passionate about God. My youth pastor is passionate about God. But I'm not sure if I want to be all in. Because that's what you get in youth group, right? That's what you get in church is like all of you have to completely sell your lives and just give up all of your passions, all of your dreams, and have to become a pastor, right? You have to join church staff, and then you'll be really used of God. Like, And some of you are just like, I don't think I want to do that. I have some passions. I have some ambitions. Now, what do I do with that when it seems like there are people in the church telling me the only way I can be holy is if I look like them? What do we do about that? Well, I'm going to say, first of all, that's not the true definition of following after the Lord. It's just joining church staff. That would be impossible. But I will say that many people, because of that negative, adverse reaction, they want to not do anything with the kingdom of God at all. And what you see here with Peter is because he distanced himself from the Lord, we actually see he, he positioned himself in a place where he denied the Lord. And so what's really interesting about this is what you see in verse 49. Look at this. When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Listen to this. Peter, right before he denied Jesus, have you ever thought about this? Before Peter denied Jesus, he tried to save Jesus at the cost of his own life. Now talk about being schizophrenic, right? Like, in one moment, you completely deny that you know Jesus with a servant girl asking you, hey, do you know who Jesus is? I have no idea. And the paragraph before, he tries to defend Jesus by cutting off a guy's ear. Why would he do that? Well, I would say the reason why Peter was trying to defend Jesus and save him is because he was completely ignorant of God's plans. You see, this is what happened. Peter thought Jesus was going to be a political savior. He was going to be a political Messiah. In other words, in those days, Rome was in charge of Israel. They exercised power. They they exercised their oppression. And because of that, the Jewish people saw prophecies in the Bible, and they thought that there was going to be a Messiah, a Savior, who would come and free them from the power of Rome. And so when the disciples saw Jesus rising up to power, they assumed that he would take up a sword and lead the charge and overthrow Rome. And the second that Jesus was delivered and was going to be crucified, Peter had lost all hope. That's why he risked his life to save him, because he really believed that Jesus was going to be that political savior. But listen, the disciples were always ignorant of what God was doing. They had no no clue, no idea of what Jesus was up to. If they had paid attention to Jesus' teachings, he wouldn't be trying to kill people. He remembered Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Turn the other cheek when someone punches you, right? And this is what Jesus does. As soon as the ear is chopped off, sorry to gross you out for a second, but think about this. Jesus, as he's being betrayed, heals the man's ear. The man's name is Malchus, we know from another gospel. 
And most likely, Malchus became a Christian himself because of Jesus's, Jesus's healing power. Isn't that so cool that the second that he's being betrayed, he was still thinking of others. And in those days, if you were missing appendages, you couldn't approach God in the temple. And although he wasn't a Levite, I think that's a great illustration of this, that Jesus was doing everything he could to bring people closer to God, to bridge the gap, uh, bridge the gap between God and man. And so that's what he was all about. But the disciples had no clue. They thought he was going to be this political Messiah. And when, even when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross to die, he told them this. This is what Peter said in Matthew chapter 16. He took him aside and said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You see, Peter's trust wasn't in God's plans. It was in his own. And Peter was desperate to salvage his own plans and see them come to pass. Let me ask you a question. Everyone look up here. Have you ever been so certain of what it is that you want in the future? I mean, what is it that you fantasize about? When you close your, your eyes, you're daydreaming. You're supposed to be paying attention at school, but let's be honest. Or at church, right? What is it that you dream about? What is it that you fantasize about? What are your aspirations? Maybe for some of you here, it's becoming successful, maybe as a sports player, maybe becoming successful as a singer or maybe as an artist or whatever it is. Maybe it's a relationship and you can't stop thinking about a certain person or being married one day. Many of us have these things that we value and we think about all the time. But then let me ask you a further question. What do you do when something gets in the way of what you value the most? What do you do? I rock climb all the time. And one of the things, if you've ever played sports, I don't really play sports that often anymore. When I was like a freshman, I used to play basketball, but I was five foot one and a half. And I didn't make the basketball team. I was bitter and I stopped playing basketball. And then I grew and now I'm five foot 10 and I can't really play basketball anymore. So, because I'm always trying to compensate when I'm shooting, I still think that I'm like small. So I try to jump as high as I can and it goes over the hoop. It's embarrassing. But anyway, I know when I'm rock climbing, there's one thing that gets me more frustrated than anything else, an injury. And those of you that play sports know it's the same thing. The second you get injured, it's almost like you see your entire life flashing before your eyes. And you're thinking, I can't play in this championship. I can't play any more games. You're not even thinking about the pain because the pain you're experiencing inside is so severe. What do you do when something becomes an obstacle to the thing that you value the most? Many of us turn to fear, desperation, or fighting, putting everything else on the line so that we can save it or salvage it. I have to, I have to break the news to you. The Bible actually calls these things that we value something, and you're not going to like it. It's called idols. Idols of the heart. This is what it says in the book of Ezekiel chapter 14. God says, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put, them, put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. So when we value things that are not the God of the universe, and we say, this is the most important thing that I am trying to achieve in my life. Yes, that thing is a false God, an idol, not like a little golden statue, like we make fun of people, you know, thousands of years ago that used to worship idols, like these actual statues. 
But the Bible says you can have idols inside of your heart. You can have things that you value that actually take the place of God in your heart. And so back in those days, even if we make fun of those little statues, the reason why they did it is because everybody believed in God. You're actually weird if you didn't believe in God. It was weird to be an atheist back then because everyone's like, surely you believe in gods. The question is, which God do you believe in? And they had this whole system that if you want rain, like you want your land to be fertile, then you pray to the God of rain. If you want fertility and you want children, then you pray to the God of fertility. They had this whole system worked out that if you, do certain, if you do certain things for certain gods, they will give you what you want. And this is why you see many atrocities done in the name of God. Many certain religions persecuting people, causing terrorism, because they're fighting for their gods. You know, there's certain cults that don't allow you to ask any questions. I have a good friend of mine who actually grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. And as he was, he told me that in the entire church, you weren't allowed to ask any questions. No objections. Do what you're told. Listen to the dogma. And in some cases, we have to understand, like, the reason why they do that is because they're just trying to protect their God, the thing that they, that they value the most. But what kind of God needs people to protect them? What kind of God needs us to salvage them, to save them, to keep them from failing us? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Alan, I don't worship gods. You're stupid. Yes, I am stupid, but you worship gods. Let me prove it to you. Because the reason why people say, I don't, I don't worship gods is because they're like, I'm very scientific. I'm very smart. I don't, I believe in science. I don't believe in gods, whatever. Yes, you do. All of us do. You know how I know? Because everyone here is superstitious. Think about this, right? Superstitions are rituals that we do. People don't believe in God, but they believe in karma. Or think about this. When you're playing sports, how many people buy certain shoes because certain NBA players wear them? How many people, even if you're playing sports, right, you have to wear your special socks. You have to do your little dance in the morning, right? Gambling. People, when they're rolling the dice, are praying, oh, Gods, like when you're desperate, people are calling out to gods, but they refuse to listen to the God of the universe. How many of us, when a relationship is failing, when you're in your darkest moment and you've realized that everything that you value is beginning to crumble, start calling out to something out there. It's because deep down, all of us are superstitious. All of us are spiritual. All of us worship, but many of us refuse to believe in the only God that exists. Anybody, but this is like super side tangent, but I had to ask this. And this may ruin my entire message, but I have to ask this. Because I thought about it this morning. That's why I like hesitated. Did anyone like have a rabbit's foot when they were growing up? Anybody? Was it just me? Like, yeah, that is the creepiest thing that you could ever have. And like when I'm five years old, I'm just like, oh yeah, everyone has rabbit's feet. They're just on their keychain and you walk around with it. That is really creepy. But like people did it. I'm sorry. Lord, I just forgot about this in trauma from my childhood, you know? It's your neighbors. The neighbors are the problem. But here's the thing. People constantly are killing themselves while sacrificing to their gods. They're killing themselves because they're doing everything they can to keep the relationship from failing. They're doing everything they can to uh, ensure that job opportunity. 
How many people are being restless in their, in their pursuit of their grades so that they can get into the right college, so they can get the right job, get a family, buy a big house, get money, get security? So many of us are pursuing these things because we think if we don't have it, then our life is not worth living. We're doing anything in order to keep our dreams alive. And our worst nightmare will be having our God die. But listen, if your God, everyone, everyone look up here. If your God needs saving, then your God is not worth serving. If your God needs saving, how is he going to save you? But this is exactly what we do as human beings. We think we need these things. We think that these things can give, them, give us what we really need. But what God says in his word in Isaiah chapter 57 is, hey, listen, when you cry out, let your collections, collection of idols deliver you. But wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them. But he who puts his trust in me shall possess the land, inherit my holy mountain. What God was saying to the people of the Old Testament is like, listen, I know you're praying to the God of rain. I know you're praying to the God of fertility. But listen, there's only one God that exists, and it's me. And you can pray to all these things that don't actually exist. But listen, nothing will happen unless you actually acknowledge that I am God. And many people are trying under the illusion of thinking they have ex of success but the second it's taken away from you, you're devastated. The second your God is removed from you, you have nothing left. Because listen, if your God can die, then your God is too fragile. If your God can fail, then your God is too fragile. Now I know what you're thinking. If those of you that are like aspiring preachers, you probably got way ahead of me here. Jesus died, right? So... Aren't you contradicting yourself and saying, if your God can die, then your God's too fragile. Hold on. Jesus is the only God that died and rose from the dead. Amen? See, this is what 1 Peter calls. This is what 1 Peter calls a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God for salvation, ready to re be revealed in the last time. Our God did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. I have a friend who, uh, when he was eight years old, his father was being deployed uh, in the Army Reserve Unit right after 9-11. And as he was eight years old, he was being interviewed by um, the local news broadcast. And it's so funny because they're asking him, hey, listen, your dad's about to go off to war. Do you understand what your dad is about to do? You know what he said? He said, yes, my dad is going to save the world. <laughs> I know, I was just like, that's, I was like, is that, is that true? Is that a real story? Because I'm going to use that. What's funny about that is so many of us miss, I, mean, I know he didn't actually save the world, right? But listen, so many people miss God's purposes, think that God is here to give us a happy life. And he might, but listen, God is more concerned, as it's been said, about your holiness than your happiness. And God is here to give you eternal life. Life that starts today, but it extends into eternity. And so when people say things like, God, how could you allow this to happen in my life? Suffering, cancer, difficulty. And listen, you might be going through things today that I may never understand. But realize this. Isn't that exactly what they said about Jesus when he was on the cross? God, how could you allow this to happen? 
And that's because they were ignorant of God's purposes in the world. See, if Jesus came down from the cross and delivered the people of Israel from Rome, we would still be dead in our sins. And Jesus is the one who came to save the world of their sins. So our first point for this afternoon, and the other two will be fast, don't worry, is when we distance ourselves from the will of God, we will oppose his plans. When we refuse to follow God all the way and we follow him from a distance, what we do is we oppose his plans because we have our own agenda. Now, the second thing is found in verse 52. Look at it with me. Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So this is pretty confusing, right? Religious leaders were trying to kill the Son of God. How do you get from a place of serving God to a place of opposing God? Because believe, believe me that the religious leaders there, the priests, all they were doing is what they thought God would want. And they actually found themselves to be opposing God himself. Well, listen, you can get from a place of serving God to opposing God very simply, and it's this way. That when you realize that living for yourself is making war with God. This is what Jesus said in Matthew, uh, the book of Luke chapter 9, in verse 23, he said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He also said in James chapter 4, verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, when we have our own agenda, we have our own plans, we think we're doing what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to pursue happiness. This is the American dream. This is what we're all supposed to do. Become who you want to be. At the same time, isn't it true that the people we despise most are self-absorbed and self-righteous? Like, if you think of the people that just get on your nerves the most, it's the people that are pompous and proud. And at the same time, we're supposed to all achieve that. That's what we're going for. The people that are super cocky, have tons of money, and brag about it all the time. We don't like those people. And yet that's what we're supposed to attain according to the American dream. And this is exactly what happened to Judas. Do you realize the reason why Judas betrayed Jesus is because of his own selfishness? He saw Jesus as a way to make money, and he betrayed him for coins of silver. And before you know it, If you have your own plans, you go your own ways, you become like these people in the middle of the night coming to betray Jesus. You become like robbers with clubs. Jesus in another gospel tells his disciples, hey, listen, don't try to defend me. Don't you know I could call down about 72,000 angels if I wanted to? Once again, they were misunderstanding his purposes. He was wondering to these people that he'd been around all the time, How is it that you're coming at me with swords, with clubs, when I was with you each and every day? And we become those people as we oppose God's plans. There's an old illustration about how G.K. Chesterton, the author, once saw an article in the Times. And the article asked the question, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, passionate, wrote a response to the Times, and he wrote back to them, the problem with the world is me. Do you realize that's the problem with the world? It's all of us, not just some bad people, 
But all of us contribute to this thing called evil because we all do our own thing. We all have our own selfishness. You might not think you're that bad, but we all lie. We all gossip. We all do things that contribute to this big problem that we call sin in the world. And the only way that we can vanquish it is if someone who's perfect comes to redeem it. Listen, because people think about it, like, why can't God just let basically good people like me, like you, go to heaven? Well, if God let basically good people go to heaven that sin once in a while like you and I, then heaven would be just like earth. We'd still have sin, still have gossip, still have lying, still have hatred, sin, bitterness, all these things that we struggle with on a daily basis. And we look at murderers, we look at people out there and say, oh, I could never become like that person. Yes, you can. If you allow bitterness to grow in your heart, you refuse to trust people, refuse to love people, we could become those people because they're human beings as well. Now, it says in verse 53, he says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. I think it's interesting to note that the only thing darkness needs in order to have power is the right time. Why do people commit evil at night? Why do thieves go out at night to steal things? It's because darkness brings them cover. And I wonder how many of us would commit more evil if we knew we would never get caught? How many of us, the only reason why we're good people and we don't do as bad things as we would is because we're afraid of somebody finding out. But if you knew that you could steal as much money as you want and no one would ever prosecute you, would you steal more money? If you knew you could do certain things and nobody would ever find out, would you do certain things and not let anybody know? Well, you see, James chapter 1, verse 15 says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You see, when we give in to these desires that we have that are contrary to the plans of God, and that we say, this is the most important thing. Success, my own success is the most important thing. You know what's now not the most important thing? Your family, your friends. Why do people betray people? Because they think some things are more important than friendship, than love, and that might be success, or might be pursuing a certain passion, or whatever it is. This is what causes sin and suffering in our world today. And listen, you are who you really are when no one else is looking, when you're all alone, when no one else sees you, and God does. But for many of us, we pursue these desires and we see God either as an object to help us get what we desire or an obstacle that's in the way of what we desire. And that is what put Jesus on the cross. When people had their selfish ambitions, their own paths, their own things they want to do, and they said, Jesus is in the way and therefore we'll put him on a cross. Do you realize that the priests put him on the cross because of jealousy? Because he was getting too much attention? That's why Jesus was betrayed. And we too have contributed to the sin that put Jesus on the cross. Our point number two is this. When we distance ourselves from the will of God, we will partner with darkness. We will partner with darkness. So when we distance ourselves from the will of God, we oppose its plans and we also partner with darkness. And lastly, we will also live in a place of fear. We'll also live in a place of fear. So oppose his plans, we'll partner with darkness and live in a place of fear. And this is what we see in the last couple verses. But we don't have to look at them because we talked about them before. Have you ever thought about like how could Peter deny Jesus 
in front of a servant girl, right? Like we talked about his boldness before he has a sword and most church historians believe that Peter was a big dude. And Peter was asked by a servant girl if he knew Jesus and he denied him. How is it that he could become so afraid? But here's the thing. If your hope is crushed, if it's possible that your greatest passion in life has been demolished, then you're going to fear anything. And you'll fear anyone. If you're trying to save what it is that you desire the most, you're trying to pursue those things, you'll always wonder if one day it'll be snatched away from you. Your greatest fear will be losing the thing that you love the most. And that's how people live their lives, isn't it? They're living in fear each and every day. Some of these things are irrational fears. Some of these things are a fear of lack, losing friends, losing family members, trying to fit in, or being ridiculed, or afraid of dying. Many people have fears. But listen, if you have the Lord on your side, the God of the universe, you can know this, that no matter who is against you, God is for you. That Jesus loves you. Amen? Listen, I talk about this a lot, but it's worth saying because most of you don't know me. I was asked a question once, what is the difference between the world's peace and God's peace? I love this question. And that's because in the world, you have different practices like meditation. Like you can have peace. You can be a very peaceful person. If you empty your mind, don't think about anything, you just like do your thing, right? But there's a, here's the difference between worldly peace and God, God's peace. Worldly peace says I have to get away from my problems in order to have peace. So empty your mind. Don't think about it. Just completely think of nothing or go on vacation. Get away from the distractions. If I got this person out of my life, I would have peace. But this is what God's peace is like. No matter what you struggle with in this life, God is with you in the trial. God is with you in the suffering. So listen, because people are always wondering if God can help them in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial. And the answer is yes, he can. Listen, God's peace is not so weak that it needs perfect circumstances to work. And if you have God who is giving you that peace that the Bible says surpasses all understanding, then it will guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. I've known that to be true in my life. The times that I've been afraid, the times that I've had fear, I know that God is nearer to me than a brother, than a family member, and he's the one who walks beside me. Even though through I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In conclusion today, how does this turn out? We need to end on a good note, right? Well, you guys know the story, those of you that go to church. If you don't, I'm going to tell you. So in John chapter 21, Jesus finds Peter and makes him breakfast and the rest of the disciples. And as he does, he asks them a series of questions. After Peter feels dejected, feels like a failure, he had sinned against God, Jesus asks, do you love me three times? Remember, he denied him three times. He asked three times, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Love my sheep. And the last thing he says is, Peter, listen, Right now, you kind of go wherever you want to go, but one day people are going to carry you where you don't want to go. And he was speaking this way, signifying about the way that Peter would die. He would be martyred for his faith. The same guy who was afraid of dying suddenly would die for the name of Jesus. And this is why, because he asked him, he called him. He said, Peter, 
In John chapter 1, chapter 21, verse 19, he said, follow me. He said, follow me, Peter. And obviously, he's not saying in terms of distance. He's saying in terms of likeness. For many of you here today, you may be in church. You may be following the church's Instagram. But your distance from God is that you are not like God. And you understand it. You have sin in your life. But you can today be forgiven of your sin. I'm going to call the worship team at this time. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can have a clear conscience. You can be like Paul who said, hey, listen, I got like no known sin in my life. You don't have to wake up in the morning feeling guilty every single day. But you can know that your, your performance before God is not based on how you, how you fare in this life, but it's based on Jesus' performance. It's based on his goodness. And this is why Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here are the three things that can happen in closing when we distance ourselves from the will of God. We oppose his plans, we partner with darkness, and we live in fear. But if Jesus is walking with you side by side, you're falling in his character, in his likeness, you know what it's like to love him. And you experience that love. And now your life is lived in gratitude. And that's one of the best things about being a Christian is you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in the future. And it doesn't matter. You don't need to know. Whereas if you're living for yourself, it all hinges upon how well you do if you get the job that you want to get, if you get into the school that you want to get into, if you uh, perform well in sports, if you make the audition. It's all about how you perform. But in Jesus... You could literally be the worst human being on the planet Earth, like worst. And you know what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11? That he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. It could be one of you. And you'd be greater than John the Baptist. Because God in his kingdom is upside down. Those that feel like they're farthest from God are actually the closest to receiving God. And those that think they have all together are actually maybe somebody here today that needs to humble themselves before the Lord and say, you know what? I don't have it all together. I need to change the way I've been living. I thought I was following God. And this is what Peter did, right? He said, even if everyone else forsakes you, I'll never do that. And that's when Jesus said, hey, listen, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. Maybe it's time that we ask ourselves, Lord, is it I? Could it be me? that if I continue to follow you at a distance, I could be one that actually denies you. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes.